Thank you all for joining Indigenous Flame, where every voice creates a spark. I'm Johnny J, and tonight I'll be speaking with Cam Foreman, and we'll be continuing a discussion that we started earlier in the week on tribal disenrollment, um, which is a practice where tribes are essentially stripping tribal members of their identity, of their citizenship without due process, and helping to usher in a new wave of genocide. Um, so we are speaking with Cam tonight. So Cam, could you tell everyone a little about yourself? Sure thing, yes. Um, hello everyone, uh, my name is Cam Foreman. I am a Pitt River Otumui native here in Redding, California. I'm actually broadcasting live from the Redding Rancheria where my family has lived on for over 100 years before it was a rancheria, before it was an established tribe. I am a um, United States Marine Corps veteran and a California Army National Guard veteran, <clears throat> a uh, student, and I've decided to, let's say, get back into the fight to stop disenrollment. You know, some things put things into perspective for me about a year and a half ago and, you know, kind of made me feel a little, little bit ashamed of giving up. But until talking with more people, hearing stories about, you know, what's been going on, you know, it, it kind of moved me to, you know, get back into this. <clears throat> Absolutely. And this is something that I believe we need to be discussing more because the ramifications are just so huge for Indian country. Like this is, I think a lot of people don't pay attention because we think, well, it can't be us. But it absolutely can because our in none of our tribal constitutions are there any protections for, to protect our tribal citizenship. Um, and there's no process in which is very clearly defined that, you know, like basically a process in which even our citizenship could be challenged. Um, this is something that just kind of happens out of the blue. And there's a lot of different reasons that go into it, such as greed and absolutely corruption. So one of the things that I would really like to kind of dig into tonight is how does this happen when your family was starting to be disenrolled? How did it start? And did you have any idea that this was coming down the line? Well, I was um, I was just a teenager when it happened, but I do remember it vividly. It happened. The first process, first part, was in the summer of 2002, where there was a, an, a, 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 a con deathbed confession from a tribal elder stating that my great-great-grandmother never, never had any children didn't give birth to my great grandmother, which was my grandfather's mother. That was the first phase. And so there, it was a long inquisition that went on for about over two and a half years. And at the end, after everything, they just basically just kept pushing, kept wanting more and more and more. They wanted more evidence and they, they couldn't prove that we weren't who we 
who who we said we were. They they they, they couldn't they couldn't dispute it. Their their only evidence was this was this um, so called deathbed confession from a tribal elder, which funny enough was born sixteen years after my great grandmother. So she had no bounds, no land to sit on to dispute my great grandmother's heritage. But going into the the enrollment records, they found that she didn't have a birth certificate, which she was born before 1924. Native Americans weren't given birth certificates. <laughs> and if they were to go into everyone's birth certificates, try and find birth certificates, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't find anyone's either. So it comes down to who has what and what, const- what constitutes as evidence. And the sad part is during the whole disenrollment process, when they vote, and that's the thing, you, you don't have any legal recourse. You don't have support. You don't, you, you don't have sovereignty, basically. The tribe has sovereignty. The tribal government, the tribal nation, whatever they call themselves, they have sovereignty. The people do not have sovereignty. Your, sover- like, your sovereignty doesn't matter because you don't have it, basically. Your rights don't matter. Your evidence doesn't matter. And sadly, the, the, most, the most frustrating part is that the so-called organizations, groups, foundations that are supposed to stand up and fight for Native Americans aren't doing that. They aren't fighting for them. Yeah, that's, you know, it's kind of frustrating because there is no due process. Um, mm. And there's no recourse. There's no courts that you can turn to oh, yeah. because of our sovereignty. So essentially what is happening is that tribes are using our sovereign right to self-determination as a shield to exterminate the citizenship of mm-hmm. tens of thousands of natives at this point from tribes all across the U.S. Yes. And it's not something that gets talked about, mainly because nobody really knows how to broach the subject. And there's a lot of fear that goes into this, because if you speak out against tribal disenrollment, then you run the risk of your family being put on the radar and being mm-hmm. put under the threat of disenrollment as well. Oh, um, yeah. Earlier this week, we had Gabe Galanda, who is a Native attorney who has been on the front lines of tribal disenrollment. And he mm-hmm. has represented so many families at this point. And, you know, he was discussing, you know, some of the ways that tribal disenrollment gets handled and the threat that is Mm -hmm. given to not just the families that are being disenrolled, but those who speak up. Um, They get recalled from office if they're on council. You know, they can lose their housing. They can lose, you know, basically their station in the community. Um, So it is a very nefarious practice. And, the thing that gets me about your case specifically is that so the Reading Rancheria was disbanded in 1959. Yes, the, the, a, ter- a termination uh, era, I believe it was called. Yes, yes, absolutely. And your grandfather was crucial in getting the Reading Rancheria reestablished, and he was also the first chairman mm-hmm. once it was reestablished. Oh yeah. So the fact that you know, your family has this history mm-hmm. and, you know, I guess you would say bona fide links to your community oh, and yeah. to that history that even your family wasn't safe from disenrollment. Oh, no. 
And um, if, if I can just say one thing about Gabe Galanda, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's listening or not, but I'm sure he'll listen to this later. Gabe, I am, you know, just humbled and honored that you are just helping, basically leading this fight and, you know, shouting it from the rooftops. Gabe, you are an absolute beast. <laughs> just want to just want to say that I, I love watching his podcast. And uh, Johnny, just uh, I didn't get a chance to when I first got on here. Thank you again for having me on here. Absolutely. And for, for, for your support, I've seen your, your posts. I've seen from 2016, you, you, um, you posted on stop disenrollment during an Al Jazeera story that included Gabe and, uh, just, I'm humbled and, and honored and, and so appreciative of the support. Thank you. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, I think one of the things that got me into learning about tribal disenrollment was, um, Mia Pritchett Prickett from um, the Grand Ronde, her family was up mm-hmm. for disenrollment. Yes. And, you know, she had been reaching out to different journalists and trying to get somebody to tell their story. Yeah. And, you know, part of the reason, another reason, or I guess I should say that I don't think this is getting the traction that it deserves is the fact that not a lot of people know about Native people. They don't know how our governments work. They don't know how citizenship works, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of people also think that they can just claim in native identities without having those links to community. Um, so that's one of the things that got me into it was hearing her story and then going through and realizing like, wow, this is a very pervasive practice and technically it is legal. Um, yes. It's, it's, uh, it's um, completely, totally 100% um, allowed yeah tribes <laughs> yeah and, and you know, it. It, yeah <laughs> no repercussions and no repercussions and one of the things that boggled my mind because one of the things i started doing in researching tribal disenrollment was going through and reading tribal constitutions mm-hmm. and seeing what the stipulations for enrollment and citizenship entailed and my mind was blown away that there are no protections for our citizenship. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, we basically, you know, like we're fighting constantly to gain our human rights as indigenous people in society at large, but yet we're kind of not realizing that we lack those same human rights protections within our own tribal nations. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that has always blown my mind is that, you know, we haven't thought about this. And given the fact that we do know that the goal of the U.S. government and even in the way that our sovereignty was established and in the way that our tribes were able to gain federal recognition, it was still aimed at eradicating the Indian problem in the U.S. You know, when we were establishing our Native nations... You know, we had to agree that citizenship at that point, because we didn't have any other recourse or, you know, means of fighting back, I guess you would say, except for not taking federal recognition, was that we agreed to base our citizenship using blood quantum. So that was kind of how blood quantum began taking hold within our tribal communities was it was something that was forced on us in order to gain federal recognition. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, you know, we do have the right to self-determination. So it is up to the tribes whether or not 
they use blood quantum or not to establish citizenship. Mm-hmm. And it kind of plays into this, right? Because it always comes down to whether or not we're Indian enough. Mm-hmm. And now it's not just Indian enough to the U.S. government, but Indian yeah. enough to each other. And it comes down to that also being a smokescreen for greed and corruption, because as our tribes have grown and developed economies, you know, a lot of tribes do have per caps, which mm-hmm. is kind of basically um, a profit sharing program, you know, like once our economies are thriving, then the tribes can say, hey, you know what? We're going to share the profit mm-hmm. from these endeavors with our tribal communities. Yeah. And it ranges. Like for some tribes, you know, it could be a couple of hundred dollars every every four months. Um, some tribes maybe will give it out yearly at Christmas and it'll be maybe $1,200. Mm-hmm. Then there are tribes that have really done well and their per cap payments can any be anywhere from, you know, five to a hundred thousand dollars, if not more. Oh yeah. And that has played a part in disenrollment. And I believe that is exactly what has happened within the Reading Ranch area. Am I right? Oh, with, without a doubt. It is, it, it's, it's 100%. I mean, for, I, I can, I, I will say this about what happened to, to my family. It, it's 100% greed and, Basically, you know, it's corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, because I, I'm, I'm fairly you know, certain of that. If you were to look at every single disenrollment case that's happened, especially in California, it's 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 been not just the determination of membership. It's also a violation of their own tribal constitutions, because in the Redding Rancheria's tribal constitution, one of the clauses to protect the rights of our citizens. And they didn't, they completely violated due process and I'm per- that's happened in other tribes as well. And, um, that that's, that's the most difficult part is that as tribal nations or, you know, I don't like to use the word nations, but you know, we're, we're sovereign nations, sovereign tribal governments, you know, we're supposed to protect and enforce the rights of our people. You know, not just from the U.S. government and their infractions to protect us from, you know, to protect the tribe, but our people as well. And that's the most frustrating part is that and, – and I, and I asked that – and I asked uh, Representative uh, Ruben Gallego a couple weeks ago the same thing. Like, who is supposed to enforce these protections? And, of course, they do the spiel of, well, they're sovereign nations. They're – you know, we, we take a hands-off approach. And that's the, that's the point I was going to come back to earlier was that tribal disenrollment – it's not it's not a secret anymore since the advent of social media and the stop disenrollment campaign that blew up it was it, it was huge I think in 2017 and 18. I don't think there was one this year but last year was big it had like 70,000 hits 60,000 hits I believe on Facebook it, it was insane and the thing is you know, it, it's it's not a secret you know in the mid-2000s, when disenrollment was exploding, we didn't have social media. I think all we had was MySpace. You know, Twitter didn't come on until 2007 or eight, and by then it was still kind of fledgling. But now, like they're like what's happening with uh, up in uh, Washington with uh, Nooksack that Gabe Galanda is is fighting those Native American elders, and I'm going to say that again, elders. 
that's been disenrolled and now they're facing eviction from HUD homes. It's just, it, it just, and that's the thing too, is like you, you would think that that would be exploding across these organizations like the NCAI, like uh, NARF, like the gaming uh, associations and all that. They, 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 and the, um, the uh, Indian committees and all that. You, you would think Secretary Deb Holland, who I spoke with last year, and she acknowledged disenrollment along with the NCAI. The NCAI actually acknowledged disenrollment for the first time. Was they sent a le- they sent a reply saying disenrollment is a matter affecting numerous people, yada yada yada, all that stuff. And Secretary Deb Holland said the same thing. Basically, well, tribes have right to earn membership of Santa Clara Pueblo versus Martinez. And it's like, well, the thing is, with Santa Clara Pueblo versus Martinez, is not only was that case just pure sexism, it was, it was totally sexist. If, if, if they were to look, go, go, go to it today, I believe they would they would rule differently saying, hey, you violated this person's civil rights. But, you know, that, that, that was then, this is now. And that, that's, the, that's the point my dad was making. We were having a conversation about the, uh, the acceptance of who's who and what's what. You know, if you're going to accept somebody's stuff, uh, evidence that they belong then you ha- that's a b c and d you have you should have to accept you know person b's a b c and d you know that th- there's no th- th- there's no um saying you know you you you're not who you are without providing proof and that that's the most difficult part regarding all of that and of course the um the whole thing of tribal court system you know, Grand Ronde, I believe they actually had a, a tribal court system. And I believe California had one, too, back in the day, but they disbanded it. And, of course, they had, tribes have their own court system within their own tribes. But, of course, if you go to them, what's going to happen? They're, they'll either fire the judge, like what happened up at Nooksack, or they're, they'll uh, d- d- disbar your, your, uh, your attorney, like they did up at Washington, like in Nooksack, with Gabe Galanda. Yeah, it's- it's kind of a hard conversation too, because, you know, oftentimes people ask, well, what do we do? Mm-hmm. How do we address this problem? Because, you know, right now, of course, there's no protections, there's nothing in place. And it always puts us in a, between a rock and a hard place, right? Because, you know, as indigenous people, we want to be sovereign. We don't want more mm-hmm. government involvement. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, what what else can we do at this point yes. when we can't rely on our tribe mm-hmm. to do the right thing? And I, I I've made that a point too to some like I've had people you know on Twitter and when I first started on this I I got back on Twitter after being off for like ten years, <laughs> um you know I've had people accuse me and uh, Rick Cuevas of Pachanga there's like oh you you're trying to undermine sovereignty you're trying to you know take away you're fighting this you're you don't like that you know you're anti. Uh, self-termination is like no that's that can be further from the truth you know as a i'll say this as a disenrolled native american who was born into my tribe who was um you know i agree 100 percent that tribes should have the rights to membership i believe that 100 percent. what i don't believe and what i don't agree with is tribal governments that violate their own tribal constitutions that violate their um, go- their own governments because that, that's what ha- that's what that's what is happening without repercussions. But um, and the thing is, with the uh, um, 
tribal sovereignty is that even though you can be a sovereign nation, you are not immune to condemnation or sanctions. And and that is a fact. That has happened. That happened in 2017 up at Nooksack. Granted, it was under the Trump administration where they labeled and designated um, Nooksack as an illegitimate, abusive tribal government. And they withheld their funds. And they tried to sue. And they said, no, you you can't sue the federal government because we don't recognize you as a legitimate tribal government because all the stuff you're doing. And... um, just this in, in August with uh, Marilyn Van testified before Representative Maxine Waters in the House Finance Committee. And they were threatening, I think they're still threatening to do so, to withhold uh, housing funds to tribal nations that don't uh, adhere to their uh, treaties of recognizing the freedmen as tribal citizens, which they should. Because it's in their constitution. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a treaty. We can't expect the U.S. government to honor the treaties Mm. if we're not willing to honor them as well. Exactly, Um, yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that has always bugged me a little bit. Because I absolutely think that, you know, our Native nations should be setting the example of how to make amends for the wrongs that we have done against others, you know, slavery, yeah. in the five civilized tribes, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was a treaty agreement that the freedmen would gain citizenship within our tribes. Yet it's something that is battled just constantly. And a lot of that has to do with anti-blackness. And again, it comes back to these having to prove that we are Indian, having mm-hmm. to prove that we're Indian enough. Um and it's such a it's such a hard battle these days because the goalposts keep keep getting moved on us, right? It's oh, yeah. not enough <laughs> for us to say, "Hey, these are my descendants. This is this is who I am related to. This is the family that I was born into." It's not enough to prove that. It's not enough to keep you know to keep your citizenship safe, you know, because. You obviously, like your family has those ties, like you're established within your tribal community and within the history of the tribe at that. And Mm -hmm. yet your family was not safe from disenrollment. And, you know, Gabe was talking about just how pervasive, you know, they get in trying to get the evidence. You know, like you said, they want more and more and more. It's Mm -hmm. not enough to just have like your birth certificates and death certificates. You know, they want more proof. Oh yeah, it, it's, 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 it's like a um, it, it's it's like if you're playing baseball and your team just keeps hitting home runs after home runs after home runs after home runs, and you just completely obliterate them. But at the end of the game, they decide that, hey, we're going to disqualify you. We think you're doing everything illegal. You're 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 out of here. We win. That's basically that's like one thing I can put it. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you know, when we're talking about, you know, wanting to have records, well, that's very difficult Mm -hmm. for a lot of natives. Oh, Um, yes. And I have a story about that as well. Yeah. (laughs) Because because I'm thinking back to like my family Mm -hmm. and my family is really well established within our tribal communities. And I'm thinking back to my great grandma, um, because like you were saying, Native Americans weren't considered U.S. citizens until 1924. Mm -hmm. And before then, we weren't issued birth certificates. Um, 
there wasn't a lot of documentation with the government in regards to Native people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my great grandma, she was born in 1915 and she doesn't have a birth certificate. Yeah. Well, I guess you would say she doesn't have an original birth certificate. Yes. Yeah, I, I believe they get, I believe, I think it was after 1924, they were allowed to get delayed birth certificates. Mm -hmm. I believe, and yes. that's what my great grandmother had, but they wouldn't accept that. Yeah. And that's what my great grandmother had as well. And, you know, that's what her, you know, her family had. Um, and I'm just thinking, like, it's kind of ridiculous because you're asking people to give these different documents. And, yes. you know, when you apply for a tribal citizenship, if you're not familiar with that process, a lot of the times what you're asked to provide is your birth certificate, the birth certificate of your parents. And if they're deceased, they also ask for the death certificates. They also ask for the birth and death certificates of your grandparents and your great-great-grandparents, at least. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how they go through and start doing your genealogy and start tracing you back to your family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and in some cases, of course, they're going to ask for a paternity test to make sure that you are the child of who you're claiming to be a child of. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that happened to my cousins, uh, two of my cousins who were disenrolled. And but they were part of the other family that was still in the tribe. And so they were basically, you know, left homeless and they had to do a cheek swab and they were. They, they were foremans in another family of the tribe, but th th they were allowed to stay after doing a, a cheek swab. Yeah. It's, and it's kind of funny because, you know, they always ask us like more and more and more. Mm -hmm. But yet if I guarantee you, if you were to ask them to provide that same information, they would have the same difficulties. Oh, yeah. And some of them wouldn't even be able to bring forth any documentation. Exactly. Like, um, what happened with uh, down in uh, Pechanga with uh, Rick Cuevas and his family of um, Paulina Hunter's descendants. Paulina Hunter was one of the original land allottees down in Pechanga, and she died in 1899. Yet the chairman, who I will not name, but he is the vice president of the NCAI, he basically led an inquisition in his family and after hiring an anthropologist, after hiring all these experts, the, the tribe hired, not the family, that the tribe hired them. And they said, hey, Paulina Hunter is 100% indisputably Pachanga Indian. Yet they said, you know what? We don't believe they are. So we're just going to disenroll them anyways. Yet, okay, then the, the thing is like, okay, so if you're going to do that, then you should have to bring forth your evidence as well. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, how would you do that? <laughs> I, I believe uh, Gabe Galanda spoke on that regarding yeah, a, a tribe. And uh, I think it was, I can't remember what tribe it was, but he was talking about that. You know, and he was like, okay, you're going to have to bring forth some documentation from 1865. It's like, are, are you serious? <laughs> how are we going to get documentation from 1865? Yeah. And especially yeah. because, you know, so much, there's so much history mm -hmm. within our nations. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the documentation that we have, you know, I'm thinking back to the, I believe it was Talahina, and there were a lot of people who had, you know, some of their records destroyed as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just because, you know, this was from a time before, you know, we had, you know, the methods that we have now to preserve mm -hmm. those records. You know, well, you depended on those hard copies. Yeah. 
It's, um, it's, it's interesting you say that too, because during our disenrollment process, my, my great, great grandmother, Virginia Timmons, they called her Nano. She was, she was one of the only people on the, on the rancheria that could read and write. And so she, when people had grievances, they said, Hey, you know, we don't have this water. We don't have this. She would write everything down for them. She would write all these papers down for them and submit them. She would be driving to Sacramento. And it, during the disenrollment process, when my family went down to the BIA records department, it's like a vault in San Francisco, I believe. It was my dad, my aunt, and my uncle. And they went down and said, hey, we're, we'd like to request you know, records on Red Rancheria regarding uh, the, you know, some stuff. And so basically, there's a sure thing. And they put them in this, in this room. It's like a vault. <clears throat> And they come, they think they're going to get like a file or something. They come out with this giant trolley, basically full of boxes of, of paperwork and going through everything. They're trying to find like land allotment stuff and all that and going through everything. And they found so many papers that were written and signed as a witness from my great, great grandmother. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And so during our disenrollment process, we had binders, papers, and just documents, um, it, it was just, it was amazing, like, seeing all this paperwork. Like, how did they get all this? And they, they kept records of it. And the other part was the records of, of, of a land ownership. During, uh, after the disenrollment, my, my grandfather's, li- I still live in my grandfather's home here on the reservation, about 50 yards away from the casino and the hotel. <laughs> and in order to get this land out of trust into his name, we had to go to the BIA before a judge and all that. And the judge, the tribe was trying to fight it, trying to basically take the land. And so he got this land in trust through him ownership to the family. And the judge said, Hey, this, this is what is going on here. This is not right. This, uh, this, this, um, individual, Bob Foreman, is the is and his mother are descendants, so he basically signed signed off on the land, saying, "Hey, they own the land. They are who they say they are. You're not taking their land. The land is his." So that was a that was a pretty big blow, considering we're the only family on the rancheria that we can own land, yet we can't be members. <laughs> I mean, granted, it's a small rancheria, it's a small reservation, but still, it's just all this stuff just comes together like. It's just a giant brick wall, but yet it's a paper shield that that just that prevents us from being members. And it's not, you know, a lot of people will say, well, we don't need to be citizens, you know, like you're still mm-hmm. native at heart. You're still native in oh, blood. Yes. And, you know, yes, that's true. But, you know, citizenship for natives is a whole lot more than just saying that we're a part of our communities Um, because that citizenship is what gives us the protection that we do have from the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like we look at the Indian Child Welfare Act. We look at, you know, the medical system. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of our tribes have access to IHS. Some don't. Um, Urban natives often don't have times or have access to indigenous, like Indian health services. But, you know, that citizenship and those ties to our communities, you know, having that is what allows us to access those services. Mm -hmm. Um, Even housing, you know, money for school, 
and this is not to say, guys, this is not to solidify that age-old myth that natives get everything for free. Um, you know, because it does vary from tribe to tribe what resources you do have access to. Um, but tribal citizenship is the way that we access those resources. Mm -hmm. And so when that is stripped from tribal citizenships, they lose all those protections. They lose that connection to their community. And, you know, one of the things that I really want to ask, you know, considering that, you know, you are still disenrolled is how does that change your view on your community and on belonging? Oof. Well, I, I just turned 32 a couple, but like I said, I was a teenager going into high school and it happened, you know, I was angry, you know, I mean, who wouldn't be angry, you know, seeing the toll it took on my family, basically, you know, my, my dad, my grandfather, my aunts and uncles, they dedicated their lives, their whole being to Redding Rancheria, to the tribe. My grandfather dedicated his life to not just the tribe, but to all native people in Northern California. He was. He opened up the um, first Native American healthcare clinic in uh, Northern California. He helped um, along with the um, the uh, current chief of the of the Winneman Wintu. Uh, they're an unrecognized tribe. Chief Sisk, her uncle, they worked together. My dad and her uncle worked together on the uh, the Indian Health Board up here in Northern California, the Shasta Trinity Siskiyou Rural Indian Health Project, where my great great grandmother would drive people to the clinic to get their teeth fixed, to get all you know their medical stuff done. And my grandfather was also a founding member of, of CRIB, the California Rural Indian Health Board. And just after that, you know, getting the whole reservation federally re-recognized, my, um, after Tilly Hardwick, my great-great-grandmother, um, Nano, her, um, and her children fought for sanitation services on the rancheria. And because the, the, the state was after termination, the, the state was supposed to give them that, you know, provide all that. And it wasn't until 1985 where the tribe was re, uh, um, actually reestablished after termination era. And so, you know, my family's been here since the beginning. Since before it was a rancheria. I mean, the rancheria, you know, 100 years ago was just a trading post. It was a place for homeless Indians, Native Amer you know, homeless Native Americans from all different tribes. You know, we have, it's not it's not like up in Washington and Nooksack or Pechanga where it's just the, uh, uh, I forgot they're called, the Luizeno Indians, I believe. It's not like the Cherokee or the Choctaw where they have their own, you know, they're from different areas, but they actually have their own it's an established tribe that that's, that's what's so unique about California is that we're all different. They, they've all been displaced because the California genocides were horrible in the 1800s and they were all displaced, bunched together and placed on different lands. And I, I think that's, what's caused a lot of, um, you know, it's generational trauma coming down the pipe later on where some tribes don't like other tribes in there or uh, other different, different uh, groups different tribes they're part of their nation so they'll just get rid of them that's what's happened in a lot of these uh, disenrollment cases in california i can see that because we've mm -hmm. seen that with the freedmen yeah um, it's the same thing it's the othering that happens within our own communities and you know it's 
I think, you know, like we've been having a lot of conversations these days in Indian country about belonging, about oh, yeah. what citizenship and community ties. Mm-hmm. And it's always very layered and very yes. complex. It's never as black and white as we would like it to be because of colonization. Mm-hmm. You know, it has changed our communities. It's changed the way that, you know, we view belonging, the way that we view community. Um, you know, like I, I'm Ocho, Missouri and Choctaw. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, both of my tribes have like the history of my tribes. It's all about displacement. Yes. Um, for example, the Ocho, Missouri. So there's an Oto tribe in Nebraska, which is a different branch of our tribe. And mm-hmm. it's probably the root. Um, we were kind of an offshoot. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I always laugh because I'm like, yeah, you know, my tribe, we kind of got lost um, because we were a band that had broken off to go further south and got caught up in the Trail of Tears. Mm. Um, and when we were resettled in Oklahoma, because there were so few Otos, they put us together with what was left of the Missouri people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over time, as we were in these new lands together, we became the Oto Missouri people. Oh yeah, well it's 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 kind of funny that you mentioned that that there that there's a tribe called Pitt River, which you know my my family's from. It's it's northeastern California, and there's also a, a tribe called the um, it's near Alturas. They're the uh, um, mo- shoot, what are they called? Modoc. They're the Modoc tribe in Oklahoma. But they're from Northern California. They were sent there on their own, like, trail of tears, basically. They were displaced. And that's the thing about California, you know, with Ray Rancheria. We have the Wintu, Pitt River, and Yana. But there's also a tribe called the Winneman Wintu from the Wintu tribe up here in Northern California where Shasta Lake, after the dam was built, it stole their land. And they've been trying to fight for their federal recognition for decades. And it's pretty sick what's happened to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you know, there's a lot of history that goes because I always find it interesting, (laughs) you know, like when I look at my tribe and I look at our tribal histories and, you know, it's always a hard conversation to have when you talk about belonging. Um, You know, for me, like, it's a little easier for me because, you know, like I'm visibly Native. I'm You know, my family is well connected within our community because of our history Mm -hmm. Um, on both sides, like in both of our tribes. You know, our families are really well known within our tribal communities. And, you know, it's it's easy um, for me to establish my identity, to claim my belonging. Um, But, you know, for my siblings, they're native and they're white and they're white passing. And so, you know, it's a little bit harder. Like within our tribal community, it was never a question because, you know, people knew their family and knew who they were. Like they knew our parents, they knew our grandparents. And so their identity never came into question. But when we moved from uh, from Oklahoma to New Mexico, it was a whole other story where people didn't see them as being Native. Mm-hmm. And... It, you know, like the whole dynamic changed and we've had to kind of learn really quickly to adjust 
and to realize that our experiences were going to be very, were vastly different. Like I move through the world in a different way than they do. Um, And they get to move through the world in a different way than I do. Um, You know, they aren't, they, you know, they necessarily don't face the same oppressive systems that I do. They don't interact with them the way that, you know, I have to because I'm visibly native. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they get to pass with that white privilege. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, it brings up these interesting conversations because we see it here on Twitter all the time. You know, we hear people just fighting back and forth between white passing, you know, talking about colorism. And when you look at tribal disenrollment, it comes down to those same conversations. And it comes down to the same reasons of why we're questioning certain people's identities. And it is always about trying to out-Indian each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it and it comes down to, you know, not really wanting to understand that complexity and not wanting to realize that being Native is really complicated. Um you know, there's just so many considerations that we have to take into account when we're talking about like tribal disenrollment, when we're tra- talking about citizenship, because we have lost generations. You know, my tribe, you know, were people that kind of got caught up in something um, and ended up with a whole new history. And it's kind of interesting when I look back at that, because, you know, we we look at our creation stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they tell the story of who we are and where we came from. And it's interesting to see my tribe on my Oto side's creation story because there is a point where they take the creation story of the Missouri people and the Oto and they kind of mesh them together. Um, and they talk about how our clan, the existing clans that we have now came to be. And I think about that when we're talking about disenrollment, when we're talking about identity, because essentially what people are failing to understand is that because colonization has wrecked us in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Colonization, it's colonization and um, corporatism. Yes. It's it's corporatism, you know, we're we're Mm -hmm. become corporatized. And that corporatization that corporatization has just it's 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 been a uh, it's been a blessing and a curse to you know to our people yes um casinos have you know brought you know so much to our communities like redding rancheria was a dirt lot with a few trailers on it 40 years ago 30 years ago now it's a casino with a big hotel and a big tribal office you know, down in uh, Pechanga, it's, it used to be just a dirt roads and few trailers. Now it's a the most lucrative resort in the Southwest. <laughs> and it's just like, you make all this money. I believe they're making, one of the videos I watched was they were, their members are making over $22,000 a month. $22,000 a month. And you're going to disenroll people. It just it, it it just blows my mind that you would do that to your own people. It does, um, you know, because it goes back to you know, like you were saying, it's corporatism. It's mm-hmm. the way that you know we had colonization has changed us, and we're still just now trying to figure out how to get back on track. 
Yes. Like we're still trying to de- determine mm-hmm. who it is we are going to be. And I, I have, I, 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 I have been, you know, what's the word? I wouldn't say cynical, but just like, uh, we, we don't care. There, there, there's no hope. No, no, no one's going to fight for us. You know, all this stuff, not, not just for disenrollment, but for like, you know, what's been going on with just what's been exposed recently that's become national attention regarding the uh, residential schools, the murdered and mm-hmm. missing indigenous women, the uh, right to uh, land and the uh, uh, treaty rights regarding land. And, and now with California with fires and having that being aspects of that being um, taken over by Native Americans for, you know, f- uh, con- control of forest fires. Yeah, it gets, here's the thing. (laughs) I am probably like the most optimistic. I'm fatally optimistic. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people always ask me why, because it's, it's really hard for me to get discouraged. And I do, I do get discouraged at times, but it's really hard for me to get there because I see the work that is going on within Indian country. Mm-hmm. I see the conversations and the work that people are doing to try and get us back on course. But what really gives me hope is the fact that our youth are really changing. This is really changing the path of our future. Yes. Um, now. Yes. 100%. Because they're having these conversations, you know, that as adults, like we're still bickering over each other about colorism and, you know, all these different things, you know, that we're still as adults, you know, like we're still stuck in this mindset of, uh, no, that's the way it, it it was. That's the way it has to be. That's the way it's always been. Like we're still stuck in that mindset, yeah. but our youth are coming back and being like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, listen, guys, we got to change the way that we're doing things because if we don't, we are not going to exist tomorrow. And we have to, you know, we have to do better for those future generations. Yeah. And, you know, like I, I've been really encouraged by some of the conversations that I see mm-hmm. happening because when it comes to tribal disenrollment, when it comes to enrollment, when it comes to citizenship, you know, we're seeing our youth stepping up to the plate and being like, we got to think about what we're doing. And oh, yeah. how this is going to affect us because, you know, Gabe Galanda, he was on Monday mm-hmm. and he was talking about how because of blood quantum, because of colonization, because of, you know, all these different things that we have gone through that, you know, we've kind of come to this point where we're stagnating our own growth as nations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are tribes that are no longer enrolling their grandbabies. Yeah. Like, you know, there's tribes that have closed enrollment. So they're not growing their nation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is because, you know, we know how scarce things can be. Oh yeah. And so as our economies grow, and I see this within the media too, you know, like as we're gaining more visibility, as we're growing more economic power, because we've never had it and nobody has ever taught us or explain to us like the responsibilities that come with that or, you know, how it can change, you know, our outlook, how it can change our perceptions. Um, And because we're still in that scarcity mentality, Mm -hmm. we don't change our mindset in regards to wealth and growth. Like Mm -hmm. we think that there's only so many places for us to succeed. Like there's only so many people who could get to the top ladder 
and, you know, not realizing that, well, no, here's the thing. Like, we can't operate that way because if we do, then only so many people will survive, which eventually they're not going to survive either. Like, we're none of us are getting out of this life alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, so why like are we with, trying with my to... Story, with, with my family stories that, like you were saying, you know, with colorism and all that stuff, I was, I was blessed to grow up in the family that I, you know, I, I, I am in. My, my family is m- multicultural, multiracial, uh, black, Hispanic, um, Japanese even, you know, and even from uh, other tribes as well. Um, one of my cousins married a, uh, a man from... Uh, I forgot which tribe it was in Oklahoma, but my grandfather wanted his two grandbabies enrolled under him here. But after disenrollment, they went they re-enrolled over there in Oklahoma, but still. And g- when I was growing up, I was one of the first uh, classes to graduate from the Head Start program here on the reservation. And just gr- growing up, you know, just being told, you know, you're 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 you are Pit River, you know, you're 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 a child of the tribe. You are native and growing up and spending time with my uncle, you know, he, you know, he does a lot of ceremony stuff. He knows a lot of songs and language and stuff. And just growing up, I I took, I took great pride in that, you know, going back to the being angry part after disenrollment, I was like, I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. You know, if this is, this is what native is going to be like, I don't want to be native. You know, I, it took me a while to realize that put things into perspective. I got hurt last year you know, I was facing a new outlook on life, you know, finding a new path. And then I was reading up all these stories of what's happened. And then I remembered what my grandfather had to go through, what my great grandmother had to go through, what my great, great grandmother had to go through. And looking at myself in the mirror, I said, I have it easy (laughs) compared to, you know, what my ancestors had to go. They had it easy. I can't give up on this. And now, I, I, I will say I was selfish for the longest time as well. I, my only goal was fighting for my grandfather, fighting for my family, fighting for my dad and my aunts and my cousins. But then I start you know, hearing other stories of others and reaching out to them and hearing their support from, from my family. And I said, you know, I've been selfish. And then I, then I look at other stories and read up on others in their fight how you can live on the reservation your whole life, live on the land that your ancestors lived on and not be considered a member because of blood quantum. Granted, I didn't come from a blood quantum tribe. I came from a descendant tribe. But now I, I listen to their stories. I just listen to No Bad Cast's um, uh, podcast with Gabe Galanda. And I almost teared up. Like, God, you get to go through that. And it's just, it kind of sickens me. And going back to the youth, when I whenever I'm on Twitter, you know, I, I scroll down and I, I, I see all these young, younger generations like the millennials, the Gen Xers and stuff. And they're all posting all this F blood quantum stuff. And I'm like, yes, yes. You know, that's that's how you fight. That's how you change things. And regarding um, my, my own tribe, you know, they're a younger. I, I had no hope, you know, and then I start listening to my cousins who are still in the tribe and their families. And, you know, they said, what happened was sick. What happened was wrong. We want to try and fix this. We want to try and fight this. You know, we have support still. And it's all from the younger generations. And that, 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 that does give me hope, along with other tribes that have thought to bring back members. I mean, uh, Robinson Rancheria near Clear Lake, under their chairman, Eddie Crandell, 
you know, they brought back 70 members and they're a relatively very small tribe. And I read that. I didn't hear about that. It happened like three years ago. And I read about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is, that is absolutely amazing. That is somebody like I aspire to be like someone who fights for their people. And, you know, now my, my goal in life is just fighting for others, helping others uh, raise their voice, you know? That's that that's that's the thing that my grandfather always said when we were going to rallies in the early 2000s in Sacramento, meeting other tribes, meeting other families. And my grandfather said, you know, like we have to stand together. You know, we've been trying; they've been trying to exterminate us for so long, and our own people are now doing it. We we can't resort to hate. We can't resort to anger. We have to, you know, stand together. You know, and just be good people. Fight the good fight, but be good. One hundred percent, because that's the only way we're going to grow. Yes. Like it's it's funny to me that you know we're trying to be exclusive. Like mm-hmm. I I know people have like it's I I honestly don't think things are necessarily done maliciously. Um, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, which always works, bites me in the butt sometimes. But <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> but one of the things that I see, and I get it, you know, like given that everything that our ancestors went through, you know, and everything that was taken for us, you know, I do feel that same pressure, like to protect what we have, like to protect our identities, to protect our imagery, our arts, our traditions. You know, I want to protect that. But mm-hmm. I also don't think protecting that means that we have to keep people out um, because it's not just people. It's not it's not non-natives that we're keeping out. You know, we're keeping our own people out. Yes. Because, you know, I look at my tribe like, I'm, you know, I'm Choctaw, so um, we don't do blood quantum. We do descendantship. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only part of my family that's on the Choctaw role still. Um, everybody kind of jumped ship to the Oto role when they reduced the blood quantum um, because our tri- the Otos do get a per cap. And it's not really big. It's usually yeah. about like 400 to $600 every quarter. Yeah. And then every year around Christmas, they'll double that. Um, so most of my family is on the Oto role now. And you know, I was talking to one of my cousins recently and he was asking, he's like, what do I do? Because my kids don't meet blood quantum for the Otos. Yeah. And, you know, and it's true. And the blood quantum for the Otos right now is one eight. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, okay, it's so easy for us to move from blood quantum. Um, There's no scientific basis for blood quantum. It's not real. It was a number that was assigned to our ancestors because you know of course dna test all these things that they claim now um didn't exist back then yeah and i i always struggle with that like with blood quantum um because there's no real basis to it but yet no, we have such a hard time exactly and yet we can't move beyond that yeah. in when we're talking about identity and it's not like i'm sitting there thinking wait a second if we keep ascribing to blood quantum, we're basically saying that it's possible, not just for us, 
but for people to literally be screwed out of their identities, Mm -hmm. out of their (laughs) cultural identities, you know, and it's like, and I know this may sound a little crass, but I just don't think a penis should have that much power. Oh, no. No? (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm fairly like certain that, you know, all, you know, tribes were all um, run by, by the, uh, you know, by the, uh, it was a matriarchal system. Yeah. And we've, and we've seen how they've tried to do that because you look at colonization, you know, native women have always been targeted for violence. Yeah. And a large part of that was because, you know, of this belief, like this white supremacist belief that we could be bred out of existence. Mm Mm-hmm which is what gave rise to blood quantum and eugenics. And we see people just ascribing to this race science right now. Um, You know, they've made it kind of trendy. And I keep thinking the ramifications, and me and Gabe talked about this Monday, like the ramifications of that go beyond just us wanting to know who we are and wanting to know our, you know, be connected to our ancestors. Because that, that desire to be connected and to know um, is being twisted in a way where they're making our identities so much less than what they are. Um, They're Mm -hmm. trying to racialize our identities. And part of the reason for that, and I see this in the way it's being manipulated um, within, you know, mainstream society is that these protections that we have as, you know, indigenous people, as black people, you know, as, you know, minorities in this country, the laws that had to be put in place in order to protect us and to provide us, you know, some measure of equality and justice, once our identities can be racialized and once they can make the argument and show that, you know, even if like if we're ascribing to like blood quantum, for example, and saying that our identities are only based on blood or on, you know, our a fraction of who we are, you know, if we believe that that reduces and that's how we determine citizenship, once they can say that, then, you know, our sovereignty will no longer matter because they can de-establish our sovereignty uh, because, you know, it is unconstitutional for there to be race-based laws. And once they can establish that, then there goes our sovereignty that, you know, everybody's been fighting so hard for Mm -hmm. and not only fighting for, but also abusing to try and protect Native identity. Um, You know, it'll be all be for nothing anyway. Oh, yeah. And, and And I like to make a point to organizations like the NCAI, like uh, NARF, like um, even our, our own, um, you know, the uh, our, our, our own organizations that, you know, especially in the past year and a half, two years, I'd say it's been a boom in, you know, fighting and recognition of civil rights, you know, acknowledgement of what is happening, what is going on. Yet our own tribes and organizations, I mean, our own um tribal governments, like I said earlier, they're violating their own tribal constitutions. And what's going to happen, I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet because we all know for a fact, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, that the U.S. government will find any way possible to interfere into into things that they, they, they want to dip their hands in so they can get a piece of the pie. And regarding disenrollment, which like is a violation of you know the tribal constitution, violation of civil rights, Violation of the UN Article 9 of Indig- Rights of Indigenous Peoples, violation of the Indian Civil Rights Act. What happened? What's going to happen? What, what are they going to do 
if the U.S. government decides one day that, hey, you have been letting this happen, you're no longer, you know, we're, you, you can't be, you know, responsible enough to fight for your people. We're going to take over. There goes your sovereignty. What's what's going to happen then? Are, 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 is the is the NCAI going to scream? Oh, this is uh, this is a violation of our rights. Well, you let it happen. Not just not just let it happen. Like you basically let them load the gun themselves mm-hmm. and shot themselves in the foot over it. Yeah, and that's kind of like the goal, right? Because it, it really is. It seems like. Because it, it's one thing, like, you know, if we criticize the U.S. government, we're all anti-American. We're all yeah. anti-white or anti-this. And no one's realizing, like, no, we're really not. We're just trying to make sure that, you know, what's prom- or what the promise of this country originally was, you know, aside from, you know, the obvious being built on slavery and genocide, yeah. I believe there was a promise of wanting this to be a country or wanting to establish a place where people did have the right to life, liberty, and justice. And so when we're talking about this, we're not talking about it just for us. Like we want this for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because we're denying ourselves that within our own tribal community. And we're not looking at, we're not thinking about the ways that, you know, we are keeping our own selves from, growing Mm -hmm. and i believe it was part of the goal like this is part of the strategy you know the u.s realized that okay you know as we've seen time go on it was not okay for them to continue just outright slaughtering us it was no longer okay for them to just keep moving us and taking our land outright it wasn't okay for them to just, you know, to deny our citizenship, but yet expect us to fight in their wars. It wasn't no longer okay for them to, you know, just ignore that we were here. I believe that they, because they were realizing like public perception was changing, they had to shift gears and make it to where they were no longer actively doing these things, but we were ourselves. Yeah, And that's something that I see with, you know, tribal disenrollment, with the way that we continue to base citizenship and belonging off blood quantum, the way that, you know, we start just really basing our decisions on greed. And oh, yes, exactly. And th- that is the, that's the sad part, too, about, you know, regarding uh, disenrollment and blood quantum, you know, I mean, granted, blood quantum, you know, it's. It's, it's sick. You know, it's absolutely sick that you, like, like I said earlier, you, you could grow up on your land, the land of your ancestors, but you're, you know, you're, you're one percentage off. So you can't be a tribal member. You're not considered this. You're not considered that. And then you have disenrollment where you're basically just being told you're no longer who you say you are because we say so. So you're gone and we're going to violate your rights that are protected in the constitution to do so. Not, not just the U.S. Constitution, but the tribal constitution the and these all, all these other aspects like the Indian Civil Rights Act. And it, it's just frustrating because, I mean, g- granted, like, I don't know how much the U.S., uh, how much our leaders and like Secretary Deb Holland, like President Fon Sharp, the NCAI and the and their their members can say much about blood quantum, you know, can say, hey, you know, this is pretty sick stuff. You know, we should move on from this. This is this is not right. But. At the same time, they can speak out against things that like like disenrollment as well. You know, they, they, 
the, the thing is that they always take an approach to like, well, you know, we're the tribes have to determine that the tribes have to determine that it's like, so basically, you know, we can say the same, you, you don't say the same thing about what's happening in, in America regarding police brutality, regarding, you know, what the US government does, you know, what other countries do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can condemn other countries, but you can't condemn Native American tribes. Like, wh- wh- where does it say that? If someone's exactly. doing the wrong thing, you can speak out against it. I mean, yes, there's been very rare, very rare um, instances where that's happened. Yeah. And, con- and it's happening yeah. actually now. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It, and it if happened. we're going, like, and if we're going to be sovereign nations, then we have to be sovereign nations. And part of being a nation is opening ourselves up to criticism. Yeah. And just like any other country, like when there are human rights abuses, they need to be spoken out against. Yeah. There need to be sanctions. There need to be um, consequences for those. So I absolutely agree with you that. It's kind of funny that no one wants to speak out against yeah. tribes that are abusing the human rights of their own citizens. Um, mm-hmm. Like if, if, the, if the U.S. government, you know, was telling 60 something elders, Native American elders, taking away their HUDs and evicting them during a pandemic, during the holiday season, like is what's happening up at Nooksack, there would be mass outrage the ncai will be screaming out secretary deb falon to be tweeting about it they'd be fighting it tooth and nail but you know it's happening now in our own tribal governments being carried out by our own tribal governments mm-hmm. and yet all we hear is crickets <laughs> yeah. it's, i mean i hate to laugh but it's just like it's comical it's just to me it is just the fact that they just don't speak out against it you don't say hey what you're doing is pretty is pretty disgusting. It's sick. It's twisted. It is down downright evil. And forgive my language, but you know, if I was in the NCAA, I'd be telling my fellow people who are doing this, like, you know what? You're kind of being a piece of you know what. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's one of the things that needs to happen. And Gabe brought this up too on Monday, that we need to be start to start thinking on a broader scale about citizens' rights within tribal nations and how do we protect you know, citizenship, like how do we, because right now, when you look at the U.S., it is unconstitutional for them to strip a U.S. citizen mm-hmm. of their citizenship. Yeah, yeah, 100, yeah this, that, that's 100%. <laughs> and this could be the same thing that goes with Native people, like our citizenship, you know, it's not just a legal designation for us. This is our birthright. Yeah. Like these are the families, these are the tribes and the communities that we are born into and that needs to be protected. It's it's not just wrong on a political aspect, but a moral one as well. Mm-hmm. Our ancestors never the disenrollment was never a word until the mid 2000s I believe. I mean granted there, there was banishment, but after a time they were allowed to come back. I believe uh, Professor David Wilkins brought that up in his book, Dismembered. You know, he talked about that, how like, yeah, some tribes practice banishment if someone did something horrendous, something absolutely horrible. But, you know, after a while, they were allowed to come back and they, you know, help them. But yeah. the thing with disenrollment, disenrollment is just, you know, to, like I said, you know, like it didn't, after the first disenrollment happened, I believe it was, I, I don't 
believe my family was the first mass disenrollment. I can't I'll have to look it up. But even so, you know, the organization like the NCAI, you know, if they would have just spoke out against it, they could have prevented the disenrollments of, I believe the number's up to 11,000 from over 90 tribes. If you put your foot down and say, hey, this is wrong. We should not be doing this. You know, you can you can prevent something. And sadly, I think the only way that's going to happen is if, you know, the U.S. government gets involved, not by stripping sovereignty. You know, you, you know I would never want that to happen. But like I like what's happened before with NUCSEC, what's happening now with Representative Maxine Waters threatening to withhold funds and with the aspect of, uh, you know, being a sovereign nation. Sovereignty is not immunity to condemnation or sanctions. You break you you violate your own tribal constitution, you violate the rights of your citizens, but you're basically immune to condemnation. No, where does it say that? And that's what I like, you know, Secretary Deb Holland, Assistant Secretary Brian Newland, um, the Senate Indian Committee, the Indigenous uh, Peoples Com- uh, Subcommittee, the Natural Resource Committee, the BIA, you know, just to say, you know what, if you're going to be doing this to your people, you're going to be kicking out your members and saving all this money. You don't, you don't need funding. We're going to withhold all your funding. We're going to withhold your HUD money. We're going to withhold all this. You can pay for it then. You know, then I guarantee you they'd be bringing back their members left and right. Which it brings me to another point is like, it seems funny that tribal disenrollment is so key when even our funding is dependent on enrollment. So the mm-hmm. more numbers that we have, you know, the more funding that yes. <laughs> is designated for our tribes. So it seems funny to me that we're doing the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Um, oh, yeah. We should be growing our nations and building our nations, not dismantling them for, you know, the profits of, you know, just for profit sharing, basically, mm-hmm. which, you know, is always going to fluctuate. And Honestly, you know, I think that there are a lot better ways to help tribal citizens rather than have per caps. Um, You know, I think, you know, like I've seen several tribes that, you know, for example, in Oklahoma, like the Chickasaw, the Choctaw, um, the Cherokee, all of these are huge tribes. um, And their their budgets are, I believe, like five times to ten times the operating budget of the entire state of Oklahoma. Um, But they don't give per caps like they help in other ways. Like we have there's excellence, you know, healthcare services that are available. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of elder services. You know, they've built community centers. You know, they're building housing like they're providing for people in other ways. Um, They're using that money to. And, you know, I know we could all use the cash, um, but that's only a temporary fix. Yeah. Like we need to be looking long term. And when I look at, you know, how these tribes have really grown, um, like how the economies have grown and how there's just, um, you know, that there's there's more resources available for the people now than there were, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. um, education, health education. benefits, housing, yeah, all that. All of that. Because the Choctaw right now also has a pipeline for Choctaw students to Ivy League colleges like Harvard and 
Stanford, you know, they have that pipeline available for our students. And it's amazing. You know, they also give laptops, they give clothing allowances, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these services, which I find are amazing. But I also see that growth on my OTO side. And, you know, they get a per cap. And I'm not saying I'm a little salty about that. But, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I see the way that our tribe has grown too. And it is my fear that as our tribe continues to grow, um, you know, because I already see some of that political dissent that's happening within the tribe when it comes to yep. capitals. That's, um, that's usually what starts it is the, exactly. the risk between other families. And it's, exactly. it usually starts with, with the older generations and it comes down to generational grudges that causes generational trauma. <laughs> Like one yeah. one person's elder didn't like another, and then it then it becomes one family consolidates power, one group of people consolidate power, and somebody in that group is doing things they shouldn't be doing, and somebody calls them out, and somebody sees them as a threat to their power, and basically they just say they kick them out. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's legal for them to do that. Yep, and you know, and gr- that's one of the fears that I have because I see that. I see that happening. You know, I see that in the future and maybe not right away, but I can see where it leads to that um, because I already see it happening in different ways. Because honestly, you know, like I, I grew up in my community and, you know, like I've always seen squabbles between like my family and other families and, you know, a lot of po- like political dissent and stuff. But I always thought that was just a normal part of tribal politics. Yeah. Well, now that I'm older, I realize that some of that is exactly what you were talking about, coming down to family feuds that have lasted for generations. And and it's like, just get over it. (laughs) Like, is it really that big of a deal? (laughs) Exactly. Because there is a family that has a grudge against mine. And no matter what my family does or who it is, like, you're automatically just kind of like the bad guy, the enemy to them. Mm And, you know, like I was just kind of caught off guard by it because I'm thinking, wait a second. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What the heck? But, I, you know, I see how that plays a part in, you know, like tribal disenrollment because it all comes down to people wanting power and wanting to consolidate that power and concentrate that power and not only the power, but the wealth as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's. This the whole trend of tribal disenrollment within tribes, you know, it's so heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, definitely is. It tears, it it, it doesn't just tear apart families, but it it tears apart communities. Mm -hmm. It tears apart, you know, the history of what our ancestors went through, what they accomplished. And you're just basically, you know, trying to erase somebody. I'm not trying. You actually kind of are from, from your records. I mean, they're still there, but it's just like everything that, you know, your family's accomplished and you, instead of looking at that, you look at, Oh, they're not letting me do what I want to do. They don't want me doing this. I want to do this, but they're in my way. I'm just going to disenroll. them. And it's, and, and it's always, it always comes down. Like, like we were talking about how the younger generations are speaking out against blood quantum or speaking out against disenrollment. It's, it's usually like, I, I think Gabe brought that up a while ago was that it's usually the older generations that are that, you know, cause they're always the ones in power 
they're always the ones in control. They're the, the, the big heads of their families. You know, they're the ones that start the disenrollment processes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. After they're, after they're gone, there's a little discussion. You know, there's some discussions that come out, you know, and I, I'm, I'm actually, what does give me hope, like I said, is that, you know, e- even though what happened to my family, you know, we do still have support. We do still have friends within the tribe, which, you know, they, they publicly even speak out. And some of them have been reprimanded in the past, but now there is no fear of that anymore. And a lot of them are speaking out. And that, that's what, that's what does give me a little, you know, does give me a little uh, hope. Absolutely. You know, and and, and that does fill my heart with gratitude as well. And it really does, because honestly, you know, like when I've talked about tribal disenrollment, you know, like I said earlier, you know, it puts us between a rock and a hard place on how do we address this? Mm-hmm. How do we remedy this? But one of the ways and in studying, you know, all these different tribal constitutions, you know, it's, it comes down to our tribal citizens realizing that we need to protect our citizenship, we need to protect our communities Mm -hmm. and making sure that we have those human rights. So it comes down to community change in getting, you know, like our younger generations, getting them organized and, you know, helping them get people involved because where it comes down to fixing this problem is by changing our tribal constitutions, by making sure that the language is there that protects, you know, our right to self-determination, but also protects, you know, all of our people. Oh yeah. And that, that's happened with a lot of tribes. Uh, that, that happened with, um, I believe great and Rancheria, <clears throat> they put an amendment in their constitution to, if we're going to disenroll somebody, we waive our sovereignty so that they can have a fair hearing. They can have a fair, fair setting in court. And um, also with uh, Robinson Rancheria, I believe they did the same thing on a, on a, I don't know if they amended their constitution, but they did do, I think they did something. I, I'll have to look up one of the, one of the uh, news articles, but when they brought back 70 members, and of course what happened with that was with the chair, the chairwoman that basically led that disenrollment Um she went to prison or something. <laughs> so she was no longer in the picture. <laughs> so it kind of opened the door to bring healing to that family. Yeah. And, the, and you know, and that's kind of what gives me hope too, is like we have so many of our youth to, you know, getting involved in tribal politics, um, mm-hmm. going to law school, learning the legal ways that, <laughs> you know, we can protect ourselves better. Um and it's kind of, it's kind of sad that we have to resort to that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. But, um, it's necessary. And it, it does give me hope to see that happening because unless we want the U S government more involved in our business, then we need to start taking care of business ourselves. Oh yeah. And um, doing things the right way. Exactly. The, 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 it, it's it's it, doing things the right way that our ancestors intended with community, with preserving heritage, preserving culture, uh, preserving, you know, our future, not disenrolling the last speakers of our languages, 90 year old elders and their families. <laughs> yeah. Or exhuming our ancestors, because I believe, you know, Gabe Galanda, he was talking about, you know, some of the ways yes. that they do this and the links that they go to in order to make you prove yep. that, which, you know, I believe was it in your family where they actually exhume somebody to try and prove a yes. DNA connection. 
Yes, they, um, after, it was after providing just mountains of evidence of tribal records, uh, state records, BIA records, all these records and roles, um, anthropologists, all these people that assisted our family, basically saying, you know, the foremans are 100% indisputable Redding Rancheria. They are who they say they are. And then they wanted a DNA test. And it's like, that, that, that's something that they didn't believe we would do. And it was a very hard decision on my, I, I remember I, I was, I, I was here with my dad and my aunts and my grandpa here at the, on, on in the house I live in now. And they're at the kitchen table and they're talking about it. And I said, like, should we do this? Should we do this? You know, they, they just keep taking nothing, nothing we're giving them is working. And they, they, they made that decision for a D, to do a DNA test for the for, for his grandchildren, for his children, for the family, you know. And after provide they they did that test. They exhumed Virginia Timmons, um, my great great grandmother first. Her her heritage was not in dispute. They couldn't dispute her heritage. And so they did a cheek swab with. Um, my uh, my grandfather's sister, and it was a basically a ninety nine point I think it was eight nine match, which is for the you know terms of providing a genetic match. That's you know basically one hundred. You can't get any closer. Mm-hmm. And they didn't accept that. They said no. We you know, now we want uh, her daughters. It could have been her sisters, which at the time during the birth of my great grandmother, I mean my great grandmother whose heritage was being questioned, they made it, well, it could have been her aunt, who was, I believe, nine years old at the time. And so they wanted her her DNA, so they had to exhume her. And once again, the DNA was like between Virginia Timmons and Lorena Butler was 99.98. Couldn't get any closer. It was one, basically, it's 100% under the uh, medical terms that this, they are a mother-daughter match. You can't dispute it. And so then it went to a vote of the general membership, hearings and all that stuff. And they refused to allow, you know, speakers come in to speak, you know, in support of my family. They refused them. They basically just bring forth your evidence and why we shouldn't disenroll you. And it became a huge mess. It basically went to general membership and they just voted to kick us out. But and in doing so, they also violated uh, the due process aspect. They didn't allow my grandfather, my aunts and uncles, my granduncles to vote either. Everyone, like in the Constitution, it says everybody over the age of 18 in the tribe is allowed to vote. And we were still members, but they denied our right to vote. They kept uh, basically making up rules as long as they went, which was a violation of the tribal Constitution. Yeah, that's one of the things that also I think hurts too, right? Because it's your own people. Oh yeah, it was. It, it, I, it, it, it was hard to watch, you know, as a teenager. Because I mean, I, I wasn't a little kid, you know. Granted, I was a teenager, but I still remember it vividly. You know how it affected my family. You know how it, it affected my grandfather seeing him because I moved in. I moved. We moved in with him after we basically lost everything. 
in 2006 and just seeing the toll it took on him, you know, that was just, it physically, I mean, it broke his heart, but at the same time, the physical toll it just took on him was just watching what happened to him, it made him sick. And that, 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 that hurt a lot seeing that. And that, that's what did fill me with a little anger to what, what was happening to my dad as well. You know, we we're just, it, it, like I said, it was the, the anger part that made me ashamed of, you know, this is what being a native is. I don't want to be a part of it. That's what kind of, you know, hurt me you know, as a teenager. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, I think is really important in this discussion of tribal disenrollment, too, is just how this practice affects community and it mm-hmm. affects kinship and you know kinship and community you know these are the backbones of our native communities like this it's is the backbone of our societies it's brought violence to communities up at um on uh shoot what was it called there's a tribe up in northeastern california it wasn't the modoc wasn't it, there was a shooting where the oh yeah question came in and killed three people and down in um, Chukchansi in Gold, where they've had so many problems, they disenrolled over half their tribe, you know, including yeah. the last speakers of their language. And they've yeah, had, and they've had armed conflicts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because I've seen footage of, you know, people having like <laughs> machine guns. I mean, mm-hmm. you're looking like you're, it's, it's like you're looking at a video from a war zone. But this is a tribal nation here in the U.S., and these are the links that they are going to yeah. to disenroll their own tribal members. Um, it's a civil it, war, basically, almost. It That's really happening. It really is, and it's not and, isolated. It is. It, it's a, like um, the. I, I always. I usually post a news article with my my stop disenrollment Friday post of the. Um, it's the. Native American tribal disenrollment reaching epidemic levels. And it has reached an epidemic. It really has. And it's it's so frustrating, too. Um, you know, just because at this point, we should know better and we should be trying to do better. Um, you know, like there's so much that Native people have sacrificed in order to get to the point where we are now, to yeah. survive everything that we have survived. And not only that, but to rebuild mm-hmm. and to reclaim everything that was yeah. stolen from us. Like it seems like a slap in the face to, you know, all of our ancestors when we are disenrolling our own tribal members and, you know, basically assisting in our own genocide. Yes, it's it, it's tribal. It's cultural genocide is what's happening. I mean, I, I don't really like to use that word genocide, but at the same time, it you know, if you're looking at it, it really is it's a cultural genocide you're exterminating your ancestors you're exterminating your own people you're exterminating your your children and grandchildren future generations and bringing generational trauma to those generations when we all had get-togethers in different events from the different families that were there we all greeted each other like you know like i know it's kind of cliche to say cousin but yes you know it was always cousin hey cousin hey cousin you know and i love that you know we've had I mean, you, you'd have blue-eyed, blonde-haired kids. You'd have, you know, some Asian-looking kids. You'd have black kids, you know, that were members. And we'd all greet each other. You know, we'd all, you know, hug each other, say, hey, it's good to see you. Okay, good to see you. We'd all play sports together. It's a, it's a very small community up here in Northern California. You know, I mean, I, 
I, I went to the head start <clears throat> with a, who's he's still a tribal member. You know, I, I grew up with him, went to school with him, played sports with him, you know, and he even told me in high school, you know, what was going on. I was like, Hey man, I just, you know, I, I was, we we're graduating and he was going to college and I was, I was enlisting in the Marines. You know, he told me, Hey man, I just want you to know, I'm, I'm really proud of you. You know, I'm really happy for you, what you're doing, you know, and just want you to know, you know, you're, you're, you're a good guy, you know, and I support you and your family. And I, that, 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 I remember that vividly from high school, you know, high school is kind of a blur for me, but I, that's one moment that's, that's a, that's a moment that just sticks with you, you know, that, that things like that do make me feel good and just not being angry anymore. I threw my anger, I threw that hatred away, you know, just you can't have that in your heart. You can't have that. You can't bring healing to yourself if you still have that. No, you, you can't. And I think that's the hardest thing too, is just learning how to reconcile with all mm-hmm. of this. Cause I mean, it's, you look at generational trauma and historical trauma now, and that's the hardest struggle that we have is learning how to reconcile with it and to come to terms with not only the fact that it happened, but that now we have to deal with the consequences of it. Yes. Um, and we have to do the work to undo all the damage. Definitely. Yeah. That's it's, it, it's, it's a long fight, but at the same time, it's a fight you're not alone in regardless of what your story is. You know, I'm like, I mean, I, I've spoke out, you know, I, I I'll post continuously on what's happened with the Freedmen's, I'm, I'm, I'm just starting to learn more about the East Coast tribes as well, We're connecting with them and hearing their stories, you know, and supporting them. I'm trying, like, I, I mean, I, it's kind of, you know, like, well, what can you do? It's like, hey, do you know what? If all I can do is, you know, email journalists, uh, post and tweet with their stories, then that's what I got to do, you know, until I can do something better. That's what I'm going to keep doing that, you know, well, one on my grandfather said it, you know, back when we were doing our disenrollment and we were doing our rallies, you know, an, an injustice against one, it, it's an injustice against all of us. It really is. And, you know, there's, you know, we see it all the time being said, you know, mm-hmm. there's none of us are free until all of us are free. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'll say that, you know, I'll say that loud and proud, you know, I mean, I don't care if you, you know, I don't care if you're, you know, you're trying to reconnect with your tribe. I don't care if you are denied by blood quantum, by racism, by nepotism, by greed and power. You know, if you're, if, if you're, you know, a descendant, you're, you belong in your tribe, you've lived on your land, you, you, you take part, you know, you, you, you support your families, you know, it, it, if there's one thing I can say to anybody who listens to this and, you know, to all my followers, is that, you know, you, you, you belong, you belong, you are loved and I support you 100%. 100%. And you know, we're coming up on time. So if there's anybody out there who has a question Mm -hmm. and would like to ask Cam anything about his experience or make a comment on what we've discussed tonight, go ahead and hit that request to speak button and we will get you on. Um, you know, I appreciate you all listening and I appreciate Cam for coming on to the show to discuss his experience. Um, this is something that, you know, I feel really strongly needs to be talked about more um, and not just the issue. But I think we need to hear more from 
you know, the people who have experienced this um, and which is why I've been really kind of <laughs> wanting to find ways to get people to talk about this more. So Cam, thank you for sharing your experience. Um, you know, thank I know. You. Not- thank you so much, Johnny. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And just once again, you know, I'm, I'm really honored to have you as a friend, even though we've never met, you know, I, I consider you a friend and an ally and I'm your friend and ally. And to anyone who's listening to this, who's, you know, facing injustice, whether you're a freedman, whether you're black trying to enroll, whether you've been denied by blood quantum, whether you've been, you know, disenrolled as well, you know, like your fight is my fight. You are my friend and ally and I support you and I'll always fight for you. And, and, as, and to, to my cousins, I believe my cousin is listening. I, she's my cousin. She's, uh, she's married to my blood cousin. You know, she comes from an unre- federally unrecognized tribe. The women went to up here in Northern California. You know, we, I support them 100%. They, 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 they matter. They deserve their federal recognition. And, you know, your tribe, you're fighting for federal recognition. You deserve it. Absolutely. All right. And it doesn't look like we have any questions tonight. So, again, thank you all for listening. And again, Cam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for um, hosting. We are here every Monday and Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific time, which I believe is 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'm really bad at time zones. <laughs> but join us every Monday and Friday for Indigenous Flame, where every voice creates a spark. And we'll see you guys on Monday. Take care. Take care.